Uh, you can turn your Bibles uh, right off the bat here to Galatians 5. We'll start there. Uh, you can also turn in your Bibles, keep your finger in Galatians, but also turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes 1. We'll go there as well. Uh, but I did want to jump off of what Pastor Jay was saying, uh, because I think it's truly important that as we approach this series on the nine, the fruits of the Spirit, that we do approach them as descriptions of what a Christian is supposed to look like. They are not prescriptions. That if, if you are not joyful in this moment, then somehow you are not a Christian. But these are the things, the fruit that the, excuse me, that the Spirit works in us. And they are the, therefore, yes, they are the fruit of that work. God working in us produces love, joy, peace, patience, temperance. All these things, He produces that in us. And it's important because just like... Um, Jay said, if, just think about it. If joy is a prescription, I, I, can, I can very well testify to the fact that if, it's, if that's a prescription, I have failed that mandate many times in my life. Where I have not been joyful in this season or that season. I have been quite <laughs> jerky, if I can use that word. Um, I've not been joyful. <laughs> I've been the complete opposite of that. And that's because, and that's amazing, amazingly relieving to me to know that joy is not a prescription where I have to have it all the time. No, it's a description of what God does for us and what He has done for us in His Word, in His Gospel. We're going through the nine. We are speaking this week on the fruit of joy. I'm just going to read Galatians 5.22. Uh, and 23, really quick. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, against such there is no law. So this week we are talking about joy. And like we uh, did last week, we have to ask that question. What is joy? Because for a lot of people, just like love, that, that could be defined a lot of different ways. Joy can be defined a lot of different ways. And I, turning to Google, if you Google joy, what is it going to tell you? It's going to tell you that joy is a feeling of great pleasure. And I'm sure that that is involved with joy. And I'm sure that, as, that it is included in what the joy of the Lord is. That we can take pleasure in what the Lord has done for us. But I would say that for me, joy is not just a feeling of great pleasure. Joy is having just total satisfaction and just complete contentment with your current situation. You see, that's the big dichotomy and the big difference between a Christian's joy and a non-Christian's joy. Because one is dependent upon circumstances and then the other is not. Christian, your joy is not dependent upon circumstances that you go through. It's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, if, you're, if, if your joy is in Jesus, then there's no sort of this longing for greener grass. You know that old colloquial phrase, bloom where you planted? That to me is joy. You're happy with where you are and what you have, and that is enough. You're, you're okay with your enough. You're not seeking out more fame or more money or more popularity or whatever. That, you're not joyful in that moment. You're searching. You're seeking. Joy is the end of seeking. It's actually the beginning of rest, I would say. 
And this begs me to uh, think about, you know, people are looking for that enough. People all over this world, they're looking for joy. They're looking for something to fill them. And in fact, there was this once, um, uh, in, the, in the, about the 1700s, there was this French mathematician and philosophist. His name was uh, Blaise Pascal. He was, a, he was a brilliant man, and he wrote this, which I think is very interesting. Chew on this statement. He says, All men seek happiness. This is the motive of every action of man, even of those who hang themselves. That's a very interesting statement to me. Because I think it's very true. Just because a person hangs themselves doesn't mean that they weren't seeking out something. They were seeking out something, but they've just been duped into thinking that killing themselves was the answer. They have tried all these different avenues of finding joy, of finding something that would fill them, and now they've come up short, and now they've come to the realization somehow they've been deceived into thinking that killing themselves would fill them. Or at least give them an escape from whatever hell that they're going through. I don't know. All men seek happiness. This is true and is relevant to me because we are passing the fourth anniversary of the death of Robin Williams. Now, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Robin Williams. He was a famous comedic actor and he was very prolific in his time. Um, But what was scary about his passing is the fact that... He hung himself. He died of asphyxiation. And with no drugs or no alcohol in his system. He wasn't doing something to where he didn't know what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He had made a premeditated decision to hang himself, to end his life. Robin Williams chose that. The man who imparted joy on countless faces across his whole career was desperate for it himself. I find that fascinating to me that this guy, this comedian, was looking for something. It is believed that he was diagnosed with a severe form of Parkinson's disease right before his death. And I don't know if that made him go over the edge. I don't know. But why would a man of Robin Williams' stature, his acclaim, be looking for something else to fill him? He wasn't joyful. And I think that not just that scenario, but many we can go to many other countless scenarios prove and actually crack the logic of more stuff equals more happiness. That is just not true. The more things you have does not equal more joy. Even though, you know, if you look at the news and you look at all these TV shows, Hollywood celebrities are paraded as having it all and having everything together, but they don't. You know, they have lives that are mostly unfulfilled, and I would hasten to say mostly joyless, despite being who they are and being what they've been able to do. I think of Robin Williams' hanging. I think of Heath Ledger's overdose. I think of Junior Seau's shooting himself in the chest. These are people who have had successful careers in sports or acting or whatever, and yet they are still searching for something. They are searching for joy. Because they don't have it. They are filling their lives with things and money and acclaim, and it's not filling them. They are not joyful. And that's because joy, number one, isn't found in fame. (laughs) 
I'll give you another quote. I was, when I was researching this, and this quote sticks with me, not only because of what it says, but because of who said it. Jim Carrey, another famous comedian. I don't know if you like him. He's pretty funny. He says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. This is Jim Carrey saying that, a guy who has probably done many things in his life that he has ever dreamed of, and he's saying, it's not the answer. What I have done has not filled me. I'm still searching for something. My heart is restless. I'll give you another example. This one is even more kind of mind-boggling to me, is Tom Brady. I'm sure you've heard this interview. If you haven't, that I'm going to give you this quote because it's pretty famous now. He gave a 60 Minutes interview a couple of years ago. This was back when he only had three Super Bowl rings. Now he has five. So I'm going to adjust his quote to match that statistic. But he says, Why do I have five Super Bowl rings and still think there is something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, Hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal and my dream and my life. But me, I think, gosh, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Tom Brady, five-time Super Bowl champion. Tom Brady, wealth out of the wazoo. He has sort of the, the man's fantasy life. Star quarterback, probably, you know, this is, this may, may offend people, I'll probably offend Jeff, but he, maybe the best quarterback in the NFL ever. Supermodel wife, kids, cars, houses, fame, there's something more. What causes a person to say that? He doesn't have joy. He is living a joyless life, a life that is going to be forever searching for it. Why? Because he is not going to Jesus for his joy. He's going to success. He's going to a different God to find joy in his life. All those things, those things that people search for joy in a thousand different ways, they search for in pleasure and fame and popularity and friends and all these sorts of avenues, these things are fragile and futile and they're flimsy. They, I would uh, say it like this, they have lifespans. (laughs) One, One knee injury could crush Tom Brady's career. One bad movie could crush an acting career. One bad decision could ruin your circle of friendships and it would be crushed forever. These things are flimsy. They have life spans. And people, I think, are looking, though, for something. They are searching for something that is timeless. They are searching for something that is eternal. I would say that, that, that they are searching for God even if they don't know it. Every, I would like to say it this way. Every person who has ever lived has been on a quest for God. They're just looking for Him in all the wrong places. That's how God made us. If you're in Ecclesiastes, flip over there and look at ver, uh, chapter 3 and look at verse 14. Or excuse me, look at verse 11. Ecclesiastes three, eleven. Look at what Solomon says. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he hath set the world in their heart, 
so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I love that phrase. He hath set the world in their heart. You know what that means? God has put eternity into the heart of man. God has made humans from the womb, from conception, a people that have an eternal hole in their soul that needs to be filled by what? An eternal and immortal object. God. But they're searching for it in ways that aren't God. I would, like, God has made us this way. We are created as, as, as sort of explorers, people who are on a quest for joy to fill our soul, and we're just groping for it in a lot of different ways that keep failing us. Think about the guy who wrote this book in front of you, Ecclesiastes, Solomon. This King Solomon was the wisest man who has ever walked the face of this earth. And what does he say? Look at Ecclesiastes 1. Look at verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. <laughs> this book, Ecclesiastes, is a troubling book to me because this king, Dave, uh, this, excuse me, King Solomon, he has every amenity afforded to him that anyone could ever want. He does everything. He tries to look for uh, something e- eternal in pleasure. It fails. He says, possessions, they fail. Power, it fails. Knowledge, that fails. That fades away. He searches and searches and searches. He tries everything. And what does he come up with? Look at verse 14 of the same chapter, chapter 1. Solomon says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It didn't fill him. He tried all of these avenues and they never filled him. And why? Because he was going to eternal things, or excuse me, he was going to temporal things that could only be, that, that can, to a, for a thing that could only be filled by eternity. He was going to something that was going to have a lifespan in, in order to fill an eternal hole that was in his heart. And that's because, again, we were created this way. We were, uh, I think it's R.C. Sproul, I think he has said it, but I don't know if that's correct. Uh, he says that everyone is born a theologian. No one, no one dies an atheist, by the way. People can say they're an atheist and they don't believe in God, but no one dies a truly an atheist. They will bow the knee, as it says in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Not just people who have uh, believed on His name. Everyone will. No one dies an atheist. We are born theists. We are born, as I said, to seek after God. But ever since Genesis chapter 3, we've gone to things lower than God to fill that God-sized hole in our heart. Genesis 3, for me, is perhaps one of the most pivotal chapters in the whole Bible. Why? Because there we have the nature of sin, but also we have the nature of grace in the same scene. And I would, I would say that people like Tom Brady, people like Heath Ledger, people like Junior Seau, people like Robin Williams, people all over this earth are still believing the lie of Genesis 3. What was the lie of Genesis 3? That you can be like God. That you don't, need, you don't need God in your life. You don't need to obey Him. You don't need His word. You don't need to obey His rules. You don't need His commands. You can be God. You can make your own joy. 
You don't need to follow His ways in order to have a flourishing, fulfilled life. You can make your own joy. So go after it. We're still believing that lie. People all over this world are believing the lie that something other than God can fill a God-sized hole in their life. That we can make our own satisfaction. You, you know, you think about it. Nearly every single scientific endeavor that we have ever sort of come up with on our own is sort of a seeking after a, a disproval of God. Evolution. We, we can't say that God exists, so we have to come up with this, this system, this crazy harebrained religion of evolution that tries to disprove God's existence. Relativity, all these, you can name all of these theories of, in science, it's all, their primary mandate is to justify man's existence without the presence of God. Why? Because then they wouldn't have to answer to a higher power. And we've, and as mankind, as we have pushed away God out of our, out of our homes, out of everything about us, we have pushed away the one source of joy and fulfillment and peace in our life. That's the sad irony here. They're pushing away the only thing that can give them everything that they have ever sought after. And I, would call, I like to call this mankind's terrible search. Because it was a terribly joyless search after joy. <laughs> I feel for Tom Brady. <laughs> he has a lot of things, but he doesn't have joy. We'll never find anything that will give us true joy apart from Jesus Christ. Fixing yourself, fixing your body, fixing anything in your life, finding the one or filling your life with pleasure, all these things, none, nothing can ever fill you like Jesus can. Because, you know why? It's like it's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And it's going to be really hard and you're just forcing it to work. Or if you get it in there, there's still going to be crevices that leave you feeling empty. There's still going to be something that makes you say, I, there's something more. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. And that's because joy isn't found in fame, success, money, pleasure, friends, anything. Celebrity, it's found only in one person. Not a, not a place, not an abstract thing. It's found in a person. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he lived and he breathed and he died on this planet earth. The very earth that you are walking on. He was a real person. And He died. And He took your place. And He has said, I want to give you my joy. Christ is the center and source for all peace and fulfillment. And apart from Him, it will be forever out of your reach. You'll forever be on that terrible search. Our friend, and we mentioned earlier, Blaise Pascal... In his same work as he was writing, he says this. There was once in man a true happiness. He's talking about creation, the Garden of Eden. There was a true happiness of which now remain in, in him only the mark in empty trace. Because of the fall. And which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings. <laughs> Man knows of the fall and he's trying to fill what is empty from the fall by looking to all of his surroundings. But I love what he says. 
But these other things are all inadequate because the infinite abyss of the heart can only be filled by an equally infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. Your soul can only ever be truly filled with joy when Jesus fills it. Nothing else will fill it. Nothing else will last. And that's what is so cool about the gospel. The gospel of redemption. You know what it is? It's, yes, it's a gospel of rescue out of hell. But yet also, it's a gospel of restoration back to Eden-like joy. God is trying to make, as he says in Revelations, make all things new. We're going to return one day to this new heaven and new earth. And it's going to be almost exactly like the Garden of Eden, but even better. And we're going to have the joy of the Lord in full exposure. (laughs) In high contrast. The gospel tells us that only this Christ can fill our souls. He's the only one who can complete us. And he's the only one who is worthy of any of our trust and all of our devotion. Turn with me to the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. This long sort of diary entry of of the King Solomon... He comes to all these conclusions. Nothing is, uh, is going to fill me. All is vanity. All is futile. All is a terrible search after emptiness. And look what he comes to at the end of chapter 12. He comes to the end. <laughs> look at verse 13. After all this, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He has come to the end of his life and he has realized, This is all that matters. The conclusion of my life, the only thing that truly matters in my life and in your life is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep His commandments. Jesus our Lord died to save us from all the lesser lords we bow to on a daily basis. When Jesus was hanging and breathing, gasping on that cross, He was dying for all the lesser lords that we bow to. The Lord of money, the Lord of fame, the Lord of popularity, the Lord of having a legacy, the Lord of anything that you can fill in the blank with there. Jesus died for that and He says, Bow to Me, Your true Lord and Savior. You see, nothing... And no one can ever, ever bring us joy in our life like Jesus can. Where people will fail you and disappoint you, Jesus is always faithful. And where pleasure escapes you and slips out of your fingers like water, Jesus always satisfies. And where religion says you have to do this in order to live, Jesus says, I have died for you so now that you can live. And where sin enslaves you and, and, and makes you in bondage, Jesus frees you. Jesus is infinitely far way better than anything that you can ever put in your life in His substitute, in His place. No God replacement, or I would say no joy substitute can be, as it says in Colossians chapter 3, you're all in all. Only Jesus can be that. Because only He was made to be that for you. Our joy isn't found 
than anything else is only found as we find it in Jesus. And that is glorious because why can we be joyful in Jesus? Because, uh, well, just turn with me really quickly to Isaiah. I have to read this verse. And you have to see it because this is why we can be joyful. Isaiah 40, chapter 43. And look at verse 25. <laughs> I love this verse. Isaiah 43, look at verse 25. It says, I, even I, that is God, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. God doesn't remember your sins. Why? Because Jesus took them away from you. He put all of your sins away forever and He put them on Jesus and then Jesus gave you His righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 That is why we can be joyful. We can be joyful because Jesus has taken our place. He's taken our condemnation. He's taken our wrath. He's taken our death. And we can have His life. We have His everlasting life. The more our minds run to that fact, run to the fact of the gospel, the gospel of substitution, the gospel of Jesus dying and taking our place, the more we will live joyfully amidst the chaos. Yes, because when you are in chaos and things are swirling around you, what never is, uns- what never is never shaken? The fact that Jesus has taken your place. That doesn't have a lifespan. That doesn't run out. That doesn't fade away. That doesn't waste away. The knowledge of that is what gives you joy, unending joy. And I'm not trying to say that because you're a Christian, you have to always be smiling. No, that's not what joy means. Joy just means, God, I know that you've put me in this place, but I know something far better. That you were in my place. Even through the severest pain that we feel here on this earth. You have a great high priest who has felt all the feelings of your infirmities. Hebrews chapter 4. And he died for them. He took them on himself willingly. He says, I will be your comforter. He's been betrayed. He's been beaten. He's been put through hell for us. So that we would never have to. And if our joy is in something like that, something that is infinite, something that is immutable, something that can be never shaken, you'll find all the fulfillment you need in those hard times, in those difficult seasons of life. See, that's where the whole prosperity gospel thing just falls flat on its face. God never says that if you believe in Him, you're going to be taken out of your storm. No. You know what He says in Isaiah 40? That I'm going to be, I'm going to be with you through it. Through the fire, through the flood, through everything in your life. He's going to be there with you. He's not going to take you out of it. He wants to be with you. Because He wants to be your joy. He doesn't want your circumstances to determine your happiness. He wants Himself to be all the happiness you ever need. Our hearts are restless. The great church father, Augustine, St. Augustine of Hippo says this, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. Your heart will be forever restless until it rests 
in what Jesus gives you, in what Jesus has given you. He gives you peace. He gives you fulfillment. He gives you love. He gives you grace. He gives you joy in Himself because He has taken your place. That is the joy that the Spirit is working in us. The more, uh, as we reflect on this word, I think I said this last week, that the two Sunday school answers are still the two best Sunday school answers. Read your Bible, and it all comes back to Jesus. (laughs) The more you read your Bible, the Spirit is working in you to say, it all goes back to Jesus. And that Jesus guy, (laughs) he's going to give you joy that is beyond your wildest imagination. Because he's going to give you himself. Let's pray.